Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. We're going to go back to golf this week because the golf world is coming to New York. The PGA Championship will be played at Beth Page Black out on Long Island. Tiger Woods will be there. All the big names will be there. So I brought back my golf guy, Dan Martini. We're going to preview the PGA Championship coming up in just a bit. Also going to be joined today by the founder of Gale Nation, former Iona team manager, John Kiggins. Last week, we talked to Steve Burt Jr. on the podcast about his time at Iona and how he got into Gale Nation. Now, John Kiggins is here. He's going to talk more about Gale Nation, his time at Iona, and what this TBT tournament is all about. Be sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're going to break down what the NBA lottery means for the Knicks. The lottery coming tomorrow night. I'm recording on Monday. This podcast will be out tonight. So the lottery coming, big deal for the Knicks. Break down my take on what it means to them if they get Zion, if they don't. All that coming up at the end of the show. But we will begin with more basketball in this week's opening tip. The NBA playoffs are into the conference finals. We have some traumatic game sevens yesterday. All that coming up right after this. You got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're filling. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the tiger? All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call I guess her courtesy of TNT's Kevin Harlan, Greg Anthony, the the always great Kevin Harlan, calling the dramatic shot of the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard nails the game winner. Four bounces into the hoop as time expires to beat the buzzer, knock out the 76ers, send the Toronto Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the NBA playoffs really starting to heat up right now. I mean, yesterday you had two great game sevens with – Toronto outlasting Philadelphia thanks to that Kawhi buzzer beater and the Portland-Denver game out in Denver. Portland walks away with a win there thanks to the heroics of CJ McCollum and we're going to dive right into this and preview the NBA conference final matchups starting out east with the Toronto Raptors taking on the Milwaukee Bucks the top seed out there and as far as this is concerned as far as the Raptors are concerned this is the Kawhi Leonard show. This is King Kawhi, baby. He is carrying this team to this point, basically dragging them through the playoffs. He goes for 41 points in that clincher, including the buzz beater. Averaged 34.7 points per game in the second round. And now, obviously, he's making a lot of money this summer, but wants to get back to the NBA Finals. And he's going to need some help from his teammates. Kyle Lowry did not do much this entire series. Serge Ibaka was good in the clincher yesterday, but he's been up and down. Marcus Gasol, veteran presence, still can get to his first NBA final, so a lot of motivation there. They have to take on Milwaukee, and the Bucks are going to be a huge, huge challenge for this team. The Bucks absolutely dismantled Boston after dropping Game One, and what a disappointing end for the Celtics. We'll stop there for one second. Many thought this team would win the East this year with. A full year of healthy Kyrie Irving with Gordon Hayward coming off the injury with that young core that came together and then all of a sudden just didn't work for whatever reason. The mix did not gel. Kyrie might leave. There's a lot of turmoil in Boston right now because that 
group might get shaken up quite a bit if they do try and trade for Anthony Davis this summer. But Milwaukee moves on. Giannis Antetokounmpo remains an unstoppable force. And you have a true marquee matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals right now with two superstars in Giannis Antetokounmpo from Milwaukee, Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors. And I feel like these two are going to cancel each other out because, remember, Kawhi is a tremendous defender. Kawhi might be one of the best on-ball defenders in the league right now. And simply put, he's going to give Giannis Antetokounmpo the most anybody can handle. What this series then comes down to is which supporting cast gives their superstar more help. And at this point, I like the Bucks' chances. They're getting more out of Chris Middleton, who's a good secondary scorer, getting a ton out of Brooke Lopez. They're getting Malcolm Brogdon back for this series. That will be huge. I like the Bucks here to advance and get to the NBA Finals for the first time in a very, very, very long time. I mean, this franchise has not won a title since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on that on that team back in the 70s. It's been a while, folks. Now, let's go to the West for a minute. Let's go to Golden State, Portland. The Warriors, they survived the Houston Rockets. Sorry, Rocky DePaulo, wherever you are. I know you, were, you picked the Rockets to win in seven, but they did not even get there. And despite losing Kevin Durant in this series with the calf injury, and Durant is not playing game one tomorrow. He's not available for that, so... He's probably back later in the series, but they knew they had a chance here, and they blew it. Houston, what a wasted opportunity here. This was a team that had a chance here to slay the Dragon, beat the Warriors, the best player on that team out for the series after Game 5. You were down 3-2 had a huge lead in your building in the, in the fourth quarter of that game. You're up seven, ended up losing by seven points. So it was a big 14-point swing there. And they failed to close out the uh, Warriors in game five as well. So it makes you wonder with the Rockets, is this mental? Do they have a mental block? It's like when the Washington Cowboys all those years could not beat the Pittsburgh Penguins or how the Oakland Raiders in the 70s could not get by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel like it's like that with the Rockets and the Warriors. And this was their shot. They could have had them without Durant. Instead, they're home again, and it puts the league on those that the Warriors still run this league. I mean, the rest of that team is still loaded, and they have enough talent there. They can get by Portland easily without Kevin Durant playing this whole series. I mean, Portland... I love you guys. Great job getting here to the conference finals. May look good. I picked you guys in the the, uh, last podcast to talk about the NBA. So it's a great step for you guys. But do they have enough experience to take down the Warriors? I don't think so. Now, don't get me wrong. CJ McCollum has been awesome. He was the Iceman yesterday. He scored 37 points in Game 7. He carried them down the stretch. And he had a huge block on Jamal Murray late in that game. And that was a big momentum swinger. Damian Lillard, who everyone says is the guy for the Trailblazers, he only gave him 13 points yesterday on 3 of 17 shooting. You cannot do that against the Warriors and have a chance to win. Now, this team also is hurt by the fact that they don't have their big guy, Joseph Nurkic, who's been out for a while with an injury. So if he comes back, I could change things, but I'm not expecting it to. Durant, if he's out for this whole series, I could change things. But remember, they still have Steph Curry. They still have Draymond Green. They still have Clay Thompson. They still have Andre Iguodala. 
they still have key bench guys like Sean Livingston and Kevon Looney on this roster. And there's a chance they get Bokey Cousins back in this series. That is way too much firepower for the Trailblazers. I mean, are they going to get a couple of games? Probably. I think they're going to win two. I still think the Warriors win this series in six games. I think at the end of the day here, we're getting the series that most of the NBA thought we were get back in January. The Golden State Warriors and the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo going to the big stage the first time, trying to take down the big bad Warriors. Kevin Durant possibly trying to win another ring with the Warriors before he bolts in free agency. That's still a very strong possibility. It's going to be a fun final. And you know what? That's one I'll probably check out because I want to see how Giannis does in the big stage. And it's something new. It's not the Warriors against LeBron for the 15th year in a row or whatever it feels like. We're getting a new blood in the NBA Finals. That's very exciting. I'm excited about that. So I think the Rays out will be good, by the way. Even though Milwaukee's a small market, I think people will tune in to see Giannis Antetokounmpo because this is his big coming out party this year. So this guy should be the MVP. I'm excited to see what happens there. Very excited for the finals. And we will touch back on that in a couple of weeks when the final matchup is set. Up next, we're going to go to the Lynx, talk a little golf, PGA Championship preview with Dan Martini right after this. Right in the middle for Kepka, And the lead goes to two with just two holes left. An unlikely birdie. Let's see one more look at it here. This par three measures 248. Thinking par. <laughs> Stretches the lead to two. All right, we are back on the Just End of Suffering podcast. That call you her from PGA.com's YouTube channel, Brooks Kepka. Getting a big putt on the 16 to win the PGA Championship last year at Belle Reve. This year, the PGA Championship coming out to the New York area, out to Beth Page Black on Long Island. So joining me today to break down the PGA Championship is not only a golf industry professional, but also a New York resident who had experience at Beth Page Black, Dan Martini. Dan, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me back. Love talking golf, and uh, it should be a fantastic week. So let's get going. We should get going. So before we dive into the PGA for a bit, let's go back to the Masters. Obviously, since you last came on, Tiger Woods won the Masters. What was your reaction to him winning the uh, Masters and getting back in the major win column? Uh, it, I mean, Tiger winning was just poetic to me. Um, and for everybody that was watching, I'm sure most of your audience and everybody in just the general sports world uh, was either watching it live that morning or saw the recap later in the day, and it, it's just something special. There's those few moments in all of sports when you're seeing, you know, LeBron James hoist a trophy or Tom Brady with the Lombardi trophy, and, and seeing Tiger win the Masters is just one of those iconic moments. You'll remember forever where you were, who you were with, and and just that special moment of seeing this guy basically get his career back on track after several years of injuries and just trying to find his game. It was classic Tiger. He was he had that dead focus in, and, and determination going the whole time. Um, and it really was just his ability to tune out all the noise around him and, uh, and handle that pressure. It, it was iconic Tiger Woods, and, and it's great for the game, and it's great for the future uh, of golf right now. Yeah, the future of golf, obviously, this week is in New York and Beth Page Black on Long, out on Long Island. You and I both actually have experience on the course. I'll get to mine in a second, but what can you tell us about the uh, course out there? Sure. So I was fortunate enough to play the course 
Uh, I was also there uh, in 2002, uh, the last time Tiger Woods won uh, at Bethpage. It is a, it's a long course. Um, it's, it's got high, thick, rough. There's elevated greens. Uh, there's tons of bunkers out there, and they're very, very deep. So you can get into trouble really quickly. Uh, for the guys in the field, I think the best thing to know about Bethpage is you have got to be consistent off the tee, and you have got to place the ball in positions off the tee that are going to allow you to get to the green in regulation. If you are even just slightly off with your driver game, you can be in a whole heap of trouble out there. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, when you walk right in, there's a sign walking into the FA's Black that warns you how hard the golf course is. I mean, they did not make any bones about it. That This is a very, very difficult golf course to play. Yes, I, I would not suggest going out there if you are new to golf, if you are still you know, figuring out which clubs are best for you. This is uh, it's, it's, it's a course that was, um, you know, it's fun to play to see just how difficult a game golf can be, but you've got to keep it in perspective. Um, otherwise, it could be a very, very long, difficult day out there. Uh, you know, you could go out and shoot 90, uh, on your everyday golf course, you can go out on Beth Page, and you might not even record a score. So um, it, it is that difficult, uh, and it can mess with your mind a little bit as well because you can you can hit what you think is a pretty good drive, and then because of the angles that the course creates and how difficult some of the roughs can be, you might just be off the fairway, but your second shot might have to be a, a serious layup uh, just because of how thick it can be and the, with those conditions. So uh, you have, you've really got to be on your game right now in order to perform well at that stage. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I've been out there. I interned with a wireless company back in 2009 when the Open was last here at Bethpage Black. And just, just a couple of things from my memory. is like, Number one, the course is very, very long to walk because, like, a lot of these courses, like, everything is, like, kind of closest together. Like, these holes are really spread out. So, like, if you're going to Bethpage this week, be prepared to have your your walking shoes on because you're going to be hiking quite a bit if you're following golfers around the course. And a little personal story. Like, the last time I was there, I actually – Ran into Tiger Woods' then wife at the course. I actually gave her directions at one point. <laughs> I think that the best thing to know about that page, if you are going just from a spectator perspective, get to the back nine and find some of the bleachers that are set up back there and, and find your seat. Uh, it looks like the weather is going to hold out. I, I think I, was, I took a quick look at the weather report. Sounds like only Thursday morning right now is, is going to be some wet conditions. So, if you're going out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, find a good spot. Um, we can talk a little bit about the course, but I, I definitely think that um, number 15 is it's a par four. It's extremely difficult hole. It's kind of your make or break that can make your round or, or set your way back. Uh, that's the place that I would go and want to post up and then maybe follow the final group uh, in for 18. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. Obviously, the last – a couple of times Beth Page hosted majors, it's hosted US Opens, and now it's hosting a PGA championship. So, like, in your experience, what's the, what should we be looking for as the, as the big difference between how the USGA prepares the court versus how the PGA will do it? I think what you're going to really see here from the PGA of America is they're going to they're gonna be a little bit more straightforward in terms of what sort of lie you're going to get based off of um, off a tee shot. So, for example... Uh, in years past, one of the criticisms was that um, the fairways were more hourglass-shaped, 
the PGA of America has basically said they are going to have very consistently even fairways. But what they did was to penalize players that, that missed those fairways, they've added in bunkers, they've added trees in specific areas to try to um, test some of the longer hitters who are trying to cut corners with their with the distance off the tee box. So what they've done is they've made it more a true test of golf in that you can't get away with missing the fairway. You can't get away with going long over greens or leaving it too short uh, because the greens are elevated. Your accuracy just has to be on point from start to finish. And what's great about that page is you might be a, a pretty long hitter uh, and, and you might hit that great drive, but because of the angles that the course creates, you might be forced to play a cut and that cut better put you right in a perfect spot because if not, you're going to be in a super deep, thick bunker around the green and, and really facing a difficult, uh, difficult par. So uh, it is just it's such a fun course to watch. Um, you know, I, I'm always about seeing live golf action. This will be a great one to watch on TV. So, so uh, obviously, everybody should be gathered around this weekend and, and enjoying it if you can't make it out to Long Island. Yeah, for sure. And one golfer has had noted success out on Bethpage is our is our friend Tiger Woods, who won the U.S. Open there in 2002, faced tied for sixth in 2009. How do you think that past experience at Bethpage will help Tiger here? Yeah, I really think it comes down to just looking at what Tiger did in Augusta and what he's done so far this year. And his experience there is going to be really important to how he performs this week. The course has changed, obviously, a little bit in the past decade uh, or two, but what, what I will say is that Tiger has got to be more consistent off the tee this week than he was at Augusta. He got away with a few with a few shots there that could have really caused him some, some issues. Uh, he, we all remember seeing he had some just incredible recovery shots and, and was really laser-focused even if he missed. Uh, he got a little aggressive off the tee, so it's going to be the woods. It's going to be the driver. Uh, I think his iron play is perfect setup for this course, the way he can bring it in and, and have it land soft on greens and shape shots uh, to go around obstacles on the course. Um, you know, I think the best thing going for Tiger Woods this week is the fact that New York fans will go absolutely bonkers for him. I think uh, we've all been out there. There's the Phil crowd. There's the Ricky crowd. But People in New York are going to come out, and they are going to support Tiger Woods from the start. Everybody wants to see the GOAT, the greatest of all time, come out and win while they're there at the tournament. It's going to be a party if Tiger's in contention come Sunday, I can tell you that. Yeah, you got you got a t- big field to work through, including defending champ Brooks Kepka, who won at Bell Reeve a year ago. What do you think his chances are of repeating here this week? To be honest, even though I guess we can get into this a little bit. I know we love always going through the odds on these players. The Tiger is the eight to one odds-on favorite right now. Uh, Brooks Koepka is at ten to one, and, and rightfully so, as defending champion. Uh, I mean, his statistics and majors are absolutely out of control for somebody his age. Um, you know, he's got three wins in his last seven majors. Uh, Brooks Brooks is the guy that needs to be beat, and, and if um, you know. If, if I'm going out and I'm saying, you know, who am I most confident that's going to be in the top five with a chance to win it, it's going to be Brooks Koepka. Uh, for those of you that watched this past weekend, he finished fourth at, at AT&T Byron Nelson. So to show that, you know, for the guys that did play in the time, um, Tiger hasn't played since Augusta. Brooks has, has 
has obviously played. So I think the advantage is, is for Brooks just having his game still in form. I mean, uh, yesterday alone uh, in the final round at, at Byron Nelson, uh, Brooks was, I think he was 65. He was six under on the day. So although he didn't win, he, I mean, you want to make birdies. You want, you want to feel like every time you, you get up to the tee box that you've got a chance to, to make a birdie and to really set your round right. And uh, it, it had to feel good with some positive momentum, uh, you know, coming from the Byron Nelson heading into the championship this week with his game in form. So I think Brooks has basically just got to, got to focus and tune out the noise around him and obviously the suspense and, and, and the pressure that will be built from from you know, having Tiger there, um, and hold on. And, and I think he's a guy that you'd be, you'd be a fool not to think he's got a, a really, really good chance. Yeah. You mentioned that Brooks Kepa obviously had a good round, this good run this week at the Byron Nelson. So who are some other guys who have been playing well in between the match and the PGA? Sure. So, so a couple guys, that kind of keep, keep going on. uh, you know, it's only been four events since, since Augusta, um, we went to RBC Heritage. Uh, Matt Kuchar finished second there. He hasn't played um, since, but uh, did pretty well there. John Rahm, uh, actually in our in our team event uh, at at the Zurich Classic uh, in New Orleans, John Rahm won with Ryan Palmer. Uh, so Rahm, who is one of my picks for Augusta, actually won a tournament since. So his game's in really good form, and and the way that he kind of attacks the course with such aggression. Um, and he plays so fiery and passionate. He, he would definitely be a pick uh, as well. I think he's going out right now. Uh, Ron is 18 to 1, so just getting back to our picks a little bit. Uh, Ron would be somebody to consider this week. Uh, Ricky Sergio, both finished um, tied for fourth uh, at Wells Fargo. Justin Rose finished third at Wells Fargo. Uh, oh, and then, of course, my most notorious pick uh, of Paul Casey also also finished tied for fourth. Uh, I got a little flack after uh, after picking Paul Casey as one of my picks at the Masters. Uh, he, he got cut there, but comes right back a couple weeks later and finishes tied for fourth. So it just goes to show his game is really in form. He's either on it or not. There's no in between. Uh, and then obviously Brooks finishing solo fourth this past week. So so Kucher, Rom, Rose, Fowler. Garcia, Casey, and Kepka. Those are the guys, the big names out there right now that uh, have all played since Augusta and have had some good showings. So, all right, let's go to the odds now. You keep you brought that up a couple of times here. So, we like to do the odds every time we talk about golf here. So, who are some guys you think will do well in this tournament just based on the uh, betting odds? Like who are some good values to bet on? Sure, uh, I think the number one guy. He's, he's, he's got to be um, uh, Jason Day. He's going out at 25-1. to 1. He finished tied for fifth at the Masters. Um, I definitely think that he's somebody whose game is, uh, is built for a course like this, especially if he's hitting it well off the tee. Uh, I, I love Dustin Johnson. This is, this is a course that, as you said right at the start of the segment, I mean, it is a bomber's course. Uh, you've got to be long off the tee. If the conditions are dry, it's going to be even more favorable for the for the long distance guys. Uh, usually, they say wet conditions allow the bombers to 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 hit and stick, and uh, really allows them to go for it and be aggressive. But I think that if it stays dry out there, Dustin Johnson was was built to win at at, at, uh, at Bethpage. Uh, and then I guess a sleeper pick. You know, I, I kind of was looking quickly down on you know. 
just the just the the odds that are out right now. Bubba Watson's at sixty to one. Uh, he had a very quiet, tied for twelfth at Augusta. His, he, he, you know, he's had a couple good showings this year. I think he finished pretty well at Valspar. I got I can double check that, but it's been a quiet year. He hasn't won, but uh, sixty to one in a major championship for Bubba Watson. I, I, that that would be the direction that I would take a look. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So, if you had a gun to your head to pick one golfer to win this event, who would it be? Ooh, tough call. It's really hard to pick against Brooks Koepka. Um, you know, my head is saying Brooks. My heart is saying Tiger. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with Brooks until somebody proves me wrong. He he has the ability to win uh, in the majors. It seems like he's up for it. His game is so strong right now. It seems like the only time Brooks isn't in contention is when he makes like a slight miscalculation on the green. Uh, everything else is just on point. I think he's he gets up for these events, and he is just a stone cold killer out there. Uh, I, I would not want to uh, be paired with him in the final group. You know, going into Sunday if he's in contention, he's he's got uh, he's just got that mental edge. That um, is very similar to what Tiger had for all those years, and what he still has, and the ability to tune everything out, trust his game, and uh, and make big shots. Uh, nothing seems to phase him. He's very, very collected, very focused. So I'm, I'm going to stay with Kepka. And well, it's not the I'm not I'm not alerting the media on this one, but it's a uh, you know with, with that pick. But this is definitely uh, built for for Brooks to have a great showing. All right, you heard it here first. Brooks Kepka, a great chance to win the PGA Championship at Bethpage. Sandy Martini, thank you for all the time today. Before I let you go, I did not get to have you on our fan forum on the podcast a couple weeks ago after the NFL draft. So I know you're a big Colt guy, so you want to give me a couple of thoughts on the Colt draft? Sure. I think that um, it was a fun Thursday night. I just uh, just didn't see how it was going to go down. I had a feeling the Colts were going to trade out of the first round, and they made a great trade, I think, for the future trading with the Redskins to pick up not only just moving back 20 spots uh, from late in the first to, the, to kind of the middle point of the second round, uh, but also to pick up a second round pick for next year from Washington, which I'm assuming is going to be a fairly high pick. I don't think just bringing in a rookie like Haskins is going to completely change the holes that are on the Redskins roster. Um, so I'm looking forward to having an extra second next year. Uh, I think the Colts had the luxury of taking a few guys who might not have been, um, you know, looked at as overall great players, but they excel at, at specific parts of the defense. The Colts went very, very heavy on defense this year, looking for talented linebackers, edge rushers. Um, they did some nice things. They, their first overall pick, Rocky Sin, is a very raw uh, wrestler, um, powerful cornerback who I think the Colts need a little bit of that nasty edge um, to come out, especially as they're expecting this guy to go out and guard number one receivers. It's like it's basically the Colts version of Jalen Ramsey for the Jags. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to be that good. I mean, Jalen Ramsey got arguably the best corner in the league, but I'm very happy with the direction that they went. They brought in a lot of, um, a lot of guys to fill the depth, if not beat out players for starting positions. They put everybody on notice that, you know, you have to, this defense has to be able to support Andrew Luck's offense right now. We need better field position. And I think that they, I love uh, Ben Vanagu. I think he's got some, some great future ahead. Um, and then um, Okariki, 
the linebacker from Stanford. The Colts love these guys from Stanford um, to come in because they're super smart and they can learn the offense, learn the offense and the defense. Um, I, I just love everything Chris Ballard is doing, and I am not going to sit here even if these guys were way down Mel's top available players. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, that, that they're, oh, I, they're not the right pick. Ballard seems to constantly be proving the Colts fans wrong. So you just have, there's a hashtag out there that just says, hashtag trust Ballard. So that's what I'm going with. Um, and, and I think the Colts, uh, you know, as long as they stay together, no injuries, um, they should compete to win the AFC South. All right, cool, man. Thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to? Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Out of Town Fan Pod. Um, I've got a podcast that I'm currently working on. I'm going to be releasing five episodes um, out to the general public fairly soon. Uh, and then you'll get one kind of, uh, it's not going to be every week, but it's going to be kind of the, the hottest topics of what the experience is like as a fan living in a different city from your teams. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things, which, which leagues are providing great value for the fans and, and just what it is that we need to do to st- feel connected to the team. So uh, you can check it out. Uh, th- there's a link in the bio for my Twitter handle. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope everybody enjoys the PGA Championship this weekend. All right. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks again. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. All right. That was Dan Martini on the PGA Championship. Up next, I'm going to talk to John Kiggins from Gale Nation about his time at Iona and the Gale Nation TBT team. That's coming up right after this. Burt, another three. Comes up short. Lowry from deep. That's good. All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Last week, I talked to Steve Burt Jr., the former Iona point guard. This week, we're talking to the guy who founded the, the uh, Iona Gale Nation TBT team, John Kiggins, former team manager for Iona back in the day. John, welcome. How are you? Uh, good, Mike. How's it going? Doing very well. Obviously, I know who you are, but majority of listeners probably don't. So can you tell you about your background with Iona basketball? Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I went to Iona from 2012 to 2016, uh, and during that time I was the basketball team manager. Uh, and from 2012 to 2014, I assisted uh, the head manager by the name of Jose Bacuave. And then uh, from 2014 to 2016, I was the head manager, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah, it sounds pretty. That's like a lot of fun. You obviously you were here for the beginning of the four peak Iona is currently on. So I know that was a highlight. But what are some of your other favorite memories from your time at Iona? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the four the four peak uh, being being a part of the, uh, the the initial championship is you know something that you know you always look back on and say it's really incredible. Um, but I think being a part of uh, Coach Kluse's first MAC championship is also something to to highlight. Um, back in 2013, that was kind of the initial start uh, of, of championship wins, um, and you know that that's definitely a highlight as well as the 2016 one. But you know we're not talking about championships. Uh, you know definitely when we played out at the University of Kansas, uh, the home of basketball. Uh, you know being on the floor. Uh, you know we had gone out there when they had Embiid and Wiggins and one of the top teams in the country. Uh, and just to be around all the history uh, was definitely something that was unique, and I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Yeah, I remember that as well, because I remember that game was on ESPN2 back in there, and you guys gave them a game, because I remember for a while they were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Those Kansas fans were getting nervous. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, it's funny when 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 people uh, you know see mid majors come in, they they automatically assume, well, you know, we should probably win and, and win pretty easily. Uh, you know, definitely with the, with the type of talent that they had on that team. I mean, you're talking about a couple lottery picks, uh, top recruits, and guys that are playing in the NBA. Um, and we were down, I believe it was like eight with a four and a half left, four minutes, three and a half left. And, you know, got, people were kind of getting nervous out there. And that's something that uh, speaks a testament to the type of basketball that Iona plays and, and just kind of the success that they've had. Uh, you know, they ultimately ended up winning. But, you know, when you can put kind of a scare in the fans and the, the other team, uh, you know, when you're one of the top teams in the country, it just goes to show, uh, you know, the level of respect that a lot of the fans had for, for Iona basketball at the end. Yeah, Iona basketball does not get as much hype as they should for the run they're on because, I mean, people don't realize this, is that it's really, really hard to win the conference tournament every single year where it's unlike Gonzaga where out in the West Coast Conference where they say, oh, you know, they have such a rep where they even if they lose in the tournament, they're still getting that large bid. That's not happening for a team like Iona. And they've had to go through some really great MAC competition over the years, including that Monmouth bench mob team in 2016 that went on the road, beat everybody, and still didn't get in the tournament. So, like, that you said, that was the first, that was the last team you were on, right? The one that beat Monmouth? Yeah, yeah, 2016. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, the MAC is traditionally a one bit league. The only time uh, in recent years where it wasn't was actually when Iona got. Uh, the at-large bid, and people were kind of scratching their heads saying, who's Iona? Um, you know, a lot of people argue, well, well, Mammoth should have got uh, a bid in 2016, uh, like what you're saying, you know, with, with the type of talent that they had. Um, but, you know, just, just the way that people view the MAC, um, which, which is a shame because the MAC has produced a lot of great pros, uh, whether it's overseas, whether it's here in the G League, uh, even some of our, you know, NBA guys, such as Scott Machado, I mean, the back has that type of level of talent, uh, and it's just a shame that people, you know, kind of outside looking in don't agree. Yeah, I was happy, so happy as Iona alum, and they beat Mamet that year because that team irritated me to no end with the bench mob and King Rice's antics. I believe they had a brawl in New Rochelle when they played them that here that year. So that was probably, I think, the most satisfying of the of the uh, four at this point. Yeah, that game, that 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 whole season, and that kind of that whole. Uh, bench pop era was, was kind of crazy. Uh, it was definitely a lot of great publicity for the Mac, though. I mean, almost every night on SportsCenter, they were talking about, well, here's what the bench pop did today, here's what the bench pop did today. And Iona kind of, you know, we kind of flew under the radar, um, and it got to that championship game. And it was a really great game by both teams. I mean, we were up and we were down. Uh, and then towards the end, you know, A.J. English had a really tough shot. Deshaun Much got to the line with that one layup. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we closed it out with a defensive stop, and we ended up going to the NCAA tournament, which is probably, you know, the perfect end to, you know, really a, kind of a, a Cinderella story team, if you think about it, with all the hype that, that Mammoth had gotten. So it was, it was the perfect way to kind of go out um, at the end of college. Yeah, funny story. I don't know if you know this, but, like, back when they got the – I only got the at-large bid in 2012. I had a friend who interned at CBS back in the day, and, like – that when the brackets got revealed to them, because obviously they have to put it in like about 40 minutes before the show and the graphics, so they're all ready to go. Apparently, Seth Davis was furious that I only got that large bid that year. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. I mean, a lot of people, you know, are always pretty upset when mid-major teams get in above high-major teams, um, which to, which to me is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, if you look right now at the NBA playoffs, 
some of the best players that are in the playoffs are from the major schools. You look at Steph, uh, Steph Curry from Davidson. You look at Kawhi Leonard, San Diego State. You look at Damian Lillard, Weber State, C.J. McCollum, you look, uh, Lehigh. I mean, the mid-major level teams have a lot of talent. Um, just, you know, everyone wants to see the name brands and the high-level teams play, um, which, which is a shame. It is a shame because I feel like the mid-majors help make March Madness what it is because, like, who cares if you see a 500 team from the Big Ten, like, try and win a game where you could have a, a, a Cinderella story like Loyola Chicago last year or, uh, what's this called, Wichita State colors go get to the Final Four. Stuff like that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, when you look back, people always talk about, uh, you know, oh, Butler with Gordon Hayward made a great run. The VCU Shaka Smart teams made great runs. People love upsets and people love talking about it. Um, Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast. Everybody loves a Cinderella story like that, uh, and that's what makes March Madness. March Madness is the excitement, and, and you know any team can beat anybody on any given night. You know, you look at UMBC against Virginia. Who, who would have ever thought that? But that that's just the beauty of March Madness. Yeah, Iona has a lot of experience in March Madness, thanks to Tim Clewis, who has gone six times in his nine years as the coach. As a matter of fact, I don't think they've missed postseason play ever since Clewis has been here. They've won, I think, twenty games every year until this year. So. What's your take on Coach Clues as somebody who's worked under him? Uh, I think I think he's probably one of the best coaches in the country, in my opinion. Um, you know, Iona's roster isn't really comprised of guys that uh, you know are, are kind of four-year players, right? It's a lot of transfers. It's a lot of kids from junior college, um, and kind of to be able to go out and compete every given season and you know, compete with guys that have only been together for a year or two years really is a testament to kind of, you know, the, the way that the system's run and the culture that Iona has built under Coach Kloos. Um And it's really incredible to walk around in an Iona shirt and say, man, that basketball team's really good. And that just goes to show you kind of the amount of success that Coach Kloos has had at Iona during this time. Yeah. It was a lot of fun watching Clewis put this team together. Hopefully they'll have a good year this year. But we'll focus on why you're here, which is the TBT tournament. Can you explain to me what the TBT tournament is and how you found out about it? Without a doubt. The TBT tournament is a winner-take-all kind of March Madness-style uh, basketball tournament that takes place in the summer. Uh, winner gets $2 million, uh, which is which is very unique. Um, I found out about it uh back in 2016 after I graduated. I was on a work trip and I just flipped on the TVD ESPN and I had seen uh, Overseas Elite was playing. I, for- I forget what team but you know, I was kind of intrigued by it because I said, I don't even know what this is. And just watching the basketball, and I was like, you know what? This would be pretty interesting if you know, we can get some Iona guys in here to, you know, watching how some of the teams matched up. I thought maybe you know, we'd do pretty well. Uh, I immediately put out an Instagram direct message with a lot of the uh, former players and a lot of them were all in. So that's kind of how the idea came to form. Uh, and then throughout the year, it was you know, just constantly checking in on the guys, seeing how their seasons were going, uh, you know, making sure everything was okay. And then when it came time to put the team together, uh, you know, everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, so obviously you say it's kind of like March Madness, a 64-team field. Is it the same, basically like you just get picked, you put in a region, and then you just play your way through and try and win the $2 million? Yeah, so so the past couple of years they they changed it up this year. Uh, the past couple of years was just like um, you know March Madness, where you had sixty four teams, sixteen per region, and you basically you know played your way out. Uh, they did it. They do. Uh, they did an interesting system where the top nine teams 
um, who had the top nine votes in the in, in the region were automatically qualified, uh, and then the rest were almost at large picks. Uh, this year, they're doing eight regionals, eighteen per region, uh, breaking it down, uh, and they're doing a pretty unique thing where if you go on and win your regional, so if you win that first weekend. Uh, you're able to get 25% of the ticket sales. So if you go into a region where there's a lot of money in ticket sales and you end up winning, um, and you don't win the $2 million, at least you walk away with maybe a, you know, a grand or two just from winning your regional, which is, which is pretty exciting and, and, a, and a pretty good uh, addition to an already great tournament, if you ask me. Yeah, it does sound a lot of fun. Obviously, Gale Nation's been there a couple of times. Can you tell me about how you guys did last year? Yeah, so, so this is going to be our third year playing. Uh, last year and, and, and the first year, uh, we ended up winning our first round game and losing in the second round in, in two really close games, which arguably, um, in my mind, are, are some of the top games in CBT history just because of the way that it was played. Uh, we played Sideline Cancer in the first round, who was the CBT original team, and then we ended up playing a team called Armored Athlete in the second round and, and lost uh, at the end of the game. Uh, on a free throw, really, um, with, 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 the, with the way that they play uh, the TBT rules in terms of the ELM ending. But it's always a great experience when you can get Iona players and former alum back in the gym together. It's always great when they see each other kind of reminiscing on college, going, uh, you know, when you have practice and stuff like that. It's always, it's always a good time, and, and I think that that's probably the best part about the TBT tournament, especially as an alumni team where you can kind of get a lot of excitement uh, around the team, whether it's the student body or the athletic programs, uh, and really kind of solidify your program and, and, and the culture that your program is building, uh, even when school's not in session. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, looking forward to seeing how this team plays together. We talked to Steve Burt Jr. on the podcast last week. He's on the squad. A friend of mine from the grad graduate program at Iona, Zach Lewis, is, is back here. So can you talk about who else is on this team, who other guys we're seeing. Yeah, so, so this year on the team we have – uh, seven Iona guys, and then uh, two guys who are not from Iona, um, but all still you know great players and great additions to the team. Uh, we have TK Adogi, uh, who, who's an Iona guy. We have Zach Lewis, who I just mentioned, uh, Aaron Roundtree, Steve Bird Jr., who you had talked to, uh, Ricky McGill from this past year's team, uh, Taj Ridley, Jordan Washington, and then the two non-Iona guys are uh, Javier Carter, who played on our inaugural CBT team, as a uh, honorary Gale who went to South Alabama, and then uh, Shavon Lewis, who came from the back, uh, is an all-time uh, Maris leading scorer, uh, and and you know is also a great addition. Who I actually went to high school with, so I know him pretty well. So we're we're definitely excited and think we have a pretty uh, good roster, a lot of young young talent um, that that we're excited to showcase in, in the tournament and uh, you know put on for Iona. Yeah, I want to throw a couple of quick notes out there about some of these guys. Obviously, Steve Bird Jr., who I talked to last week, second leading scorer in Iona history, which is notable accounts. Ricky McGill, fresh off the four-peat, helping win Iona win the four straight MAC championships and the first, I think, player in MAC history to go to the NCAA tournament four years in a row. And Taj Ridley, who was on that first Iona team that got the NCAA tournament under Cluis. Like He's actually trying out for the three-on-three -three, uh, Olympic basketball, which is, which is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny, if you, if you go and, and kind of go down the list uh, in, terms of, in terms of talent, you know, there's a lot of guys who have a lot of highlighted successes. I mean, T.K. Adoki was almost on SportsCenter Top 10 
uh, almost every week it seemed like when he was at Iona in terms of his dunks and posterized, uh, you know, posterizations of, of other teams. Yeah, Zach Lewis, who was, uh, when he started at Canisius, was, a, was an all-Mac player uh, for a rookie, had a great end of his career at Iona. You look at Aaron Roundtree, who went to Wake Forest, came and had a tremendous Iona career. You look at Javier Carter, who was one of the all-time greats in South Alabama basketball. Steve Burt, who, like you just said, is the second all-time leading scorer. Ricky McGill, as you said, um, you know, coming off Mac history, the only player to do so, uh, make four appearances in the NCAA tournament in four years after winning four championships. Jordan Washington, who was here in his time at Iona, who led uh, his senior year, the Mac and field goal percentages on the team. Shavon Lewis, who I had mentioned before, uh, was you know Maris all-time leading scorer. And then Taj Ridley, who almost started uh, you know the, the tradition of winning championships at Iona when he was here. So you have a lot of guys who you know I'm sure some people may not know by name, but all of them have incredible accolades and all of them are incredible players. And we're definitely excited you know to get this group of guys out together and and compete in a tournament that. Uh, quite frankly, we're we're very excited to be in, and or hopefully be in, I should say. Yeah, you mentioned that you you're trying your campaign to get in. Obviously, there's an element of fan support to the whole TVT process. So, if people want to support Gale Nation, how can they do that? Yeah, definitely. So we have a Twitter account. Uh, it's Gale Nation TVT. So G A E L uh, Nation N A T I O N, and then TVT. Uh, on that, we basically kind of have instructions of how to help us get in. Uh, there's a there's a new campaign that goes out uh, that's going out this year that TBT is running where um, for people that want to see Iona or any uh, one of their teams that they like to support in um, all you have to do is put out a tweet tag the team and uh, at the end put hashtag TBT Rex uh, and and kind of explain why you want to see or why you know we should be uh, in TBT 2019 which is which is pretty unique and and it's definitely a good way to get a lot of you know school spirit up for a lot of these alumni teams that sounds great definitely support Gale Nation if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you hear John thanks for all the time I really appreciate it no problem Mike appreciate it and uh, look forward to hopefully after after winning the 2 million dollars coming back on the podcast and, and talking about it absolutely when is the tournament for people who want to keep an eye on it yeah so the tournament's going to be this summer uh, we're going to be competing in the Syracuse regional um, so it's going to be the last weekend of July. It's going to be our first round. Uh, and if we're lucky enough to get out of that first round, the second round will be the first weekend of August in Chicago. All games will be streamed uh, on ESPN, whether it's on you know the TV networks or it's on ESPN3. Um, so even if you can't make it up to Syracuse, you'll still be able to, to, to watch us uh, on TV or on your computer you know, wherever you can stream ESPN. Yeah, it's crazy, too, how much the ESPN3 things explode. Because, I mean, like, every college game, I feel like, of every sport is on there in one way or another, which is incredible compared to what it was just a, a decade ago. Yeah, you know, it's I, I in, in my personal opinion, it's definitely uh, kind of a, a help and a, a good thing for a lot of mid-majors because in the past, if you were a mid-major school, uh, you know, you were playing late at night after the big-time schools were playing, and, you know, no, nobody was really watching, but now anybody can stream any game, uh, you know, at any time. So I think that it's a perfect thing for mid majors and and a perfect thing for guys that uh, are on good teams and want to get watched and want to get noticed. You're able to kind of plug up right uh, their game right on ESPN three, and 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 there you go. So it's definitely good for mid majors, in my opinion. Again, that Twitter account at Gale Nation TBT John Kiggins. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where we're going to dive into the NBA lottery. 
coming up right after this. With the first pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the Phoenix Suns select DeAndre Ayton from Nassau, Bahamas, and the University of Arizona. All right, and we are back on this week's two-minute drill. You just heard NBA Commissioner Adam Silver announcing DeAndre Ayton as the first overall pick in last June's NBA Draft. This time tomorrow we will be looking at the NBA Draft Lottery. And the lottery Tuesday night might be the biggest night in a long time for Knicks fans because I'll be honest, as a Knicks fan, there has not been much to look forward to over the last few years. The end of the Phil Jackson era was a disgrace. Carmelo's exit out of town was not handled well. The Porzingis trade this season, having the worst record in the NBA. But it could all be worth it if they get the top pick and they get Zion Williamson, the clear-cut top pick in this draft and a guy who I've watched a lot in college and this guy's gonna be a superstar on the next level his ability to defend his athleticism his ability to score inside is great if he figures out a jump shot he will be probably one of the best players in this sport in the next five years and that's really scary to think about that now you would think hooray Knicks had the worst record in the league they get the most ping pong balls that's great right not necessarily the NBA changed the lottery system after last year because of all the disasters of every team in America who is not a good team. So, you know what? We're going to tank. We want to get the best players in college. So, the NBA side, the old system was not working. Last year, the Suns tanked at the worst record in the league, had a 25% chance of getting the top overall pick, which they did. They get DeAndre Ayton, and away we go. Phoenix has a guy who could be a building block for them for a long time by being absolutely terrible. Now, discourage is tanking. The NBA has expanded the lottery, so instead of picking just the top three picks, you're picking the top four picks now. But the teams with the three worst records, the Knicks, the Cavs, and the Phoenix Suns, again, shocker, they're still bad, all have an equal 14% chance to get the top pick. So the Knicks, so the Knicks last year, if they were bad, as bad as the Suns were last year, had the worst record in the league, they would have a 25% chance to get the number one pick and get Zion Williamson. Now it's only 14%, the same as the Suns and the Cavs. And these three teams also all have 40.2% chance of getting a top three pick. The only thing that's being the worst record guarantees Knicks is that they will not pick worse than five. That is the lowest they will go in the draft. So, of course, keep this in mind because the Knicks haven't even moved up in the lottery, let alone won the thing since they won the first one with Patrick Ewing back in 1985. And I know this is all the conspiracy theory talk about the envelope was bent, it was cold, it touched a corner or something like that. There was this whole theory about the NBA rigged the lottery to get Ewing to the Knicks, and then they have not won one since. They've gone backwards more often than they have actually just stay where they are. Now, this year, they have, I'm not getting my hopes up here. It would be nice for them to change, it would be nice for them to get Zion, but the math says they won't. There's an 86% chance they do not get the top pick and get Zion Williamson. And that would be disappointing for sure. But there are still other good players in this draft. I like his teammate from Duke, R.J. Barrett. I think he's got the potential to be a good scorer in this league. John Morant, great point guard. And I know they just traded with Dennis Smith Jr., but you know that if you have a chance to get a franchise-changing talent like John Morant at that position, you do it. That's how the league has become more guard-oriented. But no Knicks luck. In a three-player draft, they'll end up with the fourth pick. 
I'm convinced of this. Let's imagine for a second, though, that they do win the lottery. You've got two interesting options on the table. Number one, you keep the pick, take Zion Williamson, and he's coming to the Garden for the next 15 years. That would be incredible to have potentially the most exciting player in the league at, at the, some point in the future. Have him playing in the Garden for a very long time. The other option, which is the one that the more like super team-oriented people are suggesting, is that you get the pick, use it as the headliner in a package you send to the New Orleans Pelicans to get Anthony Davis. And then you get him here. He's the first part of the super team. And then you get Kevin Durant. You get Kyrie Irving. You have three superstars to try and win an NBA championship. Now, if it's me, I'd rather have Zion because my window to win is much longer. Yes, having Davis, Durant, and Irving all on the same team means that my chances of winning are much higher for the next couple of years. But if I have Zion at 19 years old, his window extends much, much longer to win a title. And then you can start building around him in a couple of years. For now, he could be the third banana behind Durant and Irving if they come here, which reports are they want to. So we'll see what happens there. But it's funny. This all comes down to those ping pong balls. That's all it is at this point. We can dream all we want about Zion wearing blue and orange and playing under the lights at MSG. We can dream about Durant. All the Nick hopes right now come down to the bounces on ping pong balls. That's insane. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Dan Martini for coming on to talk all about the PGA Championship out at Beth Page Black this week on Long Island. I also want to thank John Kiggins from Gale Nation, TBT team, talking about his experience at Iona and a little bit more information about the TBT tournament and how you can support Gale Nation or anything you like for that matter. Just go to that TBT website. You can find out all that information about this tournament. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how baseball is having trouble fitting in the modern age, with quotes from baseball writer Rob Nyer and friends of the podcast, Mike Demers and Rick Cerrone, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher. Go to any of those platforms, search for Just and the Suffering in the search bar, and you will find the podcast there. All 48 episodes of this podcast, including this one, will be there. You can go back listen to all the old episodes if you'd like. Pick and choose. I don't care. Just check them all out. I really appreciate it. I also appreciate if you leave your feedback and star ratings. It will help make things even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag KingKawhi. You've made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, we will react to the NBA lottery. We will find out for sure if Zion Williamson will be an option for the Knicks. If he's going to be going somewhere else. If Knicks are going to trade this pick, we'll have a discussion about that. We're also going to do a French Open preview. I'm working on trying to get a tennis guest in here next week to try to talk about that. That would be exciting. And also dive into summer movies a little bit because Memorial Day is coming up right around the corner before you realize it. That's the unofficial start of summer movie season. I'm going to try and dive into some of the best movies to check out this summer. Until then, I'll be a better week than 76ers fans. Yeah.